If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72, plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Dictation, typing, filing, phone. Wouldn't it be nice to have an escape machine? This is it. The 1970 Cutlass S. What a way to cut loose and swing for very little. Cutlass S. Chrome louvers. Sporty new hood. New flared sculpturing. Exclusive fabrics. Luxury unmatched in its price class. Cutlass S. Rocket V8 engine with unique new positive valve rotators for longer trouble-free performance. That's young mobile thinking. Ms. Wilson, I know it's five to five, but I want you to stay tonight to do some timing. It's got to be done for me. Wouldn't it be nice if you had such an escape machine? New Cutlass S. Only at your Rollsmobile dealers. Rollsmobile. Escape from the ordinary. Same old bag of notes. Wouldn't you like something new to rock out with? This is it. The 1970 442 with 455Q V8 engine standard. Order it with the new W25 package and you get it all. Fiberglass hood with air grabbing scoops. Locking hood pins. Super wide wheels. Bucket seats. Hurst shifter. Dual exhaust. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a 442? Oldsmobile. Escape from the ordinary. Discover that something extra. Discover how much more you get in a 1970 Olds. See your Oldsmobile dealer. I don't suppose you have any locale spaghetti. If Madame will permit me, she has just ordered two sub-boiled steaks. Some days, wouldn't it be nice to have an escape machine? A 1970 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Elegance in a trim new size. The escape from ordinary personal cars. Like the new formal roofline, more young mobile thinking. Loosen your tie and relax in supreme comfort. And after a day of taking orders, take command of the famous Rocket V8. It's equipped with unique new positive valve rotators to help your engine run better, longer. Wouldn't it be nice if you had an escape machine? The new Cutlass Supreme at your Oldsmobile dealers. Oldsmobile, escape from the ordinary. Lower, lower, priced much lower than you'd guess. Oldsmobile. Closer to Cutlass Supreme, the new one from Olds with a four-barrel 350 cubic inch rocket V8 and the sleek formal roof line. See your Oldsmobile dealer.
going to take the mic off. Hey, welcome, listeners. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your host, Robert. Sitting in occasionally with me here, <laughs> operating the keyboards, is my buddy Bill. Bill, how you doing tonight? Room zoom zoom, Oldsmobile night. Yeah, didn't your daddy have an Oldsmobile? I had a couple friends that had Oldsmobile cutlasses. Did you? And it, the Grand Prix was sort of similar to the Cutlass, right? Well, yeah, it was an upscale version of a uh, GTO or Pontiac Le Mans. Yeah, it was the sister car, Pontiac. So, but yeah, well, you had, did you have a, a uh, Grand Prix? I had a 74 Grand Prix. You did? Yeah, it had 455 big big block. 455, 455 cubic inches and about 200 horsepower. Yeah, they really killed them back then. In 1974, you said? Yeah, it was pretty fast. Yeah, okay, I think the, 74, the a, 75. The A-frames went out on it. Well, oh, was it up north? No, it was down here. Down here? A-frames? Oh, you mean the bushings went out or just rusted out? It rusted out. The A-frames were all, they had to replace the A-frames. Probably because it was a northern car. Probably from the, the great state of Michigan. From Detroit. What do you think about that? Hey, everybody, run to your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Uh, and, of course, you can go check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You can see our past shows, read the text, and look at some pictures. And other than that... What do you got going there, Bill? It's a good thing I booked your guest today. My guest? Oh, yeah. Well, we're not going to let the cat out of the bag yet, but we have a guest this evening. I, I didn't book your guest. <laughs> I know you didn't. <laughs> you could have. Now you have the number, you know, but anyway, so you can book him for another show. Anyway, so, uh, yeah. Hey, you know, let's see. What This is uh, this is coming up. Uh, let's see. We had our couple of weeks ago, we had our 100th show. So now we're at 102 today. And actually, I started the show, actually got tricked into this two years ago. When Lee, our buddy Lee, on May 13th, 19, no, 2010, is it 2010? Yeah, 2010 is when I had our first show at 7 o'clock. I was on a Thursday evening, something like that. But at any rate, so we're going on two years. We've had a, quite an array of people. We've had Roger Penske. We've had Carol Shelby. We've had Dan Gurney. We've had Don Perdome, Alex Exidius. Uh, we've had Barry McGuire. We've had uh, Dan Woods from his TV show. We've had Dennis Gage. I mean, the list is just amazing. I'm pretty impressed myself. You know, I got to say, I got to turn into the radio show here sometime hey you know what i did today i stopped by my buddies down there at largo at the rib shack barbecue in downtown largo you know what they got the best smoking barbecue sandwiches but anyway so every once in a while i like to give them a live rib or live read excuse me a live ri- a rib a <laughs> live rib you know i got food on the mind i had to hurry but anyway so and they treat me right down there so i want everybody to scurry down to downtown largo and go check out my buddies down there at uh, the rib shack barbecue or give them a call and do a takeout order 727-501-9090 that's 727- 7501-9090, and they'll cater your party. Hey, I think we got a pretty wicked song here on our uh, turntable ready to go, spinning around and around and around. Why don't you go fire that little baby up? This will take you back to 1975. I gave a girl a ride in the wagon. She crawled in. She was tired Cause her mind was dragging I said get some sleep And dream of rock and roll Cause like a princess She was laying there Moonlight dancing off her hair She woke up and took me by the hand She's gonna love me in my Chevy van And that's alright with me Her young face was 
Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. All right, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, 
this weekend. Guess what's going on, Bill? This is something for you. You know what? That song, Sammy Johns and uh, the Chevy Van, that's got to take you right back to 1975, I'm sure. I was six. You were six? Oh, well, you were still playing with slingshots, Ed. And marbles. <laughs> and pickup sticks. Tonka trucks. Tonka trucks. I was playing with Tonka trucks. Anyway, yeah. Hey, you know what's going on this weekend? It, the USA Volleyball gimmicks going on down there on uh, Clearwater Beach. And they're actually going to have a runway swimsuit fashion show at 10 p.m. Our Saturday the 12th at Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. Bill, you're going to be down there for that, right? With your Chevy van? Oh, you got a Dodge van. I forgot. So we'll do a song for you. We'll step on some nails. Step on some nails. <laughs> anyway, so be sure to get my buddies at Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill and check out all the cool stuff going on down there with the volleyball chicks and the swimsuit chickies. And uh, give them a call down there. What's that number? I think it's uh, 608-727-608-2065. 727-608-2065. Hey, next week's the Big Indie Show. Uh, Meekum. Of course, we have the Indianapolis 500 coming up this month, towards the end of the month. And then we got Lamar. Meekum. Meekum Auction is at Indy, the big Indy. And they're going to have, I think, over 2,000 cars at that auction. Is, is Dana, 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 Dana Meekum going to be there? Yes, Dana Meekum will be there. No, Dana Kirkpatrick. No, she's going to be at the Indy 500. That's different. This if, is she, the, if she was at the Meekum, I'd have to peek them. <laughs> Here we go, Bill. <laughs> okay. Anyway, actually, I met her last year at the uh, St. Pete Grand Prix, and uh, but she was too busy because her PR people just got in the way of everything, and that's the problem with some of these these younger celebrities nowadays is they you can't talk to them half the time because they got their PR people in the way, and it's hard to get to them. What? You know, it's a status thing. Was anyway, she, was she taller than you? No, she's short, as a matter of fact. And uh, but she did get. You know what's funny? I actually had her take a picture with my son, and then you'll never forget this. I had the camera off when I clicked it. I didn't have, I couldn't get it set up quick enough because sometimes you get those what they call a Kodak moment when you got to move real quick and of course I didn't have the thing on and I ruined a perfectly good shot because he had taken that to school and showed it off to all his buddies. Anyway, hey, big shout out to my buddy Doug over at the sign shop. He's almost got my poster ready, so I'm looking forward to that. But anyway, give Dougie a call if you need a sign or stickers or decals. 727-392-4852. 727-392-4852. Oh yeah, speaking of stickers, if you want a Ted Nugent for president bumper sticker. Give us a call here at 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000, and leave your name, your number, your address, and all that good stuff, all your personal information. Leave it with Billy. Anyway, okay, big shout-out to my buddy's Cop Car Online, 727-536-2677, 536-2677. You need a squad car or a squad vehicle or a law enforcement vehicle or just something cool like that. And, of course, if you need your boat fixed or your classic car, give Dom Forte a call at Forte's Inboard and Auto Connections, 544-6440, 727-544-6440. And we're just about ready to have our guest come on the air. We roll through this commercial, roll through the song, roll through the clip, and let's bring our guest on the air. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsport 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340.
We've installed some rather interesting modifications. You see this arm here? Now open the top and inside your defense mechanism controls. Smoke screen, oil slick, rear bulletproof screen, and left and right front wing machine guns. Now this one I'm particularly keen about. You see the gear lever here? Now if you take the top off, you'll find a little red button. Whatever you do, don't touch it. No, why not? Because you'll release this section of the roof and engage and fire the passenger ejector seat. Ejector seat? You're joking. I never joke about my work, 007. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And it gives me great pleasure to just about introduce somebody that's got, in my opinion, probably the most ideal job. I am truly envious of this guy because this guy has a job that people would just kill for. This guy is a car guy extraordinaire, the host of his own TV show on Velocity, the host of Chasing Classic Cars. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening, Wayne Carini. Wayne, are you there? I am. Good evening. How are you? Pretty good. How you been? How? What's the weather like up in Connecticut? It's raining out, uh, but that's okay. You know, we we didn't have a lot of rain this season, so we'll take a little rain while we can get it, but the weekend's going to be beautiful. Super. Tell us a little bit about uh, Wayne Carini and how Wayne Carini got started in the uh, fantastic car business, especially with the classics well, that you deal in. I grew up, my, my father restored cars when I was growing up, and um, that was his uh, business. That's how he made his living. And even though he had a second job uh, at uh, Pratt & Whitney Aircraft, uh, fixing aircraft engines in the evening, he, he restored cars during the day. And that was uh, that's how I was brought up, um, repairing cars. Um, probably when I was five years old, he put sandpaper in my hand and said, okay, start sanding that engine block over there or something like that. I, I worked uh, worked with him until I went to college. 
so every day I would go to work after school, and and I had no choice. Uh, that was you know that was what was expected of us. And um, I went to college, uh, graduated with an art degree, and uh, got back into repairing cars with him. And here we are, uh, F40 Motorsports. Uh, I created in 1995, and. Uh, Restored a lot of Ferraris over the years. Um, got really involved with Ferraris back in the um, in the '60s, actually, when my dad uh, brought us to a, a resort one one week, and there was a doctor that had a 250 short wheelbase there. And I think that that had a big, huge uh, effect on on my love for Ferraris. And then I followed him throughout my my teens, and and then up into the 20s and my 30s, and I am at 60 years old, still loving the Ferraris as much as I, I did back then. Well, and your company is named after one, uh, the Notorious F40. That was at that at one point in time. I think that was one of the fastest production cars, wasn't it, back in the early 90s? It was, and you know what? To, to this day, I think it's one of my favorite uh, super Ferraris. I mean, you know, you have the Enzo and and uh, you know the uh, 599s and and uh, all the supercars F50, but the F40 seemed to be the ultimate. To me, of, of a supercar, 288 GTO. Uh, believe it or not, I mean it's 2.8 liter V8 engine uh, pumping out you know excess of 500 horsepower. It's amazing. Oh no, and that's a good looking car too. And that car was built what primarily for racing, wasn't it originally? The 288s. It was, yeah. The 288 uh, GTO was just actually it was like a 308 on steroids, they say. But um, then the F40 was was really supposed to be a race car and. Uh, very, very good race car. Um, but they, they built so few of them uh, that they're in such demand today that they're one of the most expensive, you know, uh, later V8 Ferraris that, that are out there. Now, on your website, which I happen to have in front of me here, you've got this stunning Daytona uh, Spider that's on. Is that a NART or is that a real Daytona Spider convertible? Actually, we've sold all our uh, real Daytona Spider um uh, Convertibles, but uh, that's a that's a converted car. Mm-hmm. It was converted by uh, uh, the factory, so that was a Scaglietti uh, cut car. Oh, okay, it's probably the best cut car that there is. But uh, you know, Spiders have been selling really well. We sold one uh, at Amelia Island this year, um, and that did very well. Um, we have one in the shop right now that we're restoring for a, a dealer friend of mine down in Texas. Uh, that was green, very unusual color. We enjoy uh, restoring and painting cars that were very unusual colors back in that era. And this was a uh, Pinot Verde. So we, uh, we're we getting ready to paint that very shortly, and that, that car will be sold out of Monterey this year. It's funny you mentioned green, because I had a 1973 uh, Pantera L, and strangely enough, that was green, which was a very unusual color for that car, because they were usually red or yellow or white or... Orange or something white, like that. Yeah, white was a very uh, popular color. Silver, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, green wasn't a very popular color. And, and back in the 70s, uh, greens were actually popular, but not in sports cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, in, not in exotic cars. But um, we're excited about doing that car. Um, so just to go on about uh, how F40 was created, I, I started selling cars back in 95, and then... Um, there was a New York Times article written about how I had um, pursued this car. There was a Hudson Italia, and and I had tried to buy the car since I was 16 years old. And uh, I finally bought it when I was 54 years old. And the um, 
Jim Ostrowski from Essex Television Group had read an article written in the New York Times about how I'd pursued this car for, for my whole life, basically, and was able to buy it. And he came up to me and he says, I, I'd like to do a show based on what you do. And uh, we basically sat in my office for about 15 minutes, hashed out the details that he would just follow me around with the camera, and uh, I would go about my daily business. And we're in season five of that. That's so amazing. It's pretty incredible. Uh, people have really caught on to it, uh, and it's basically what I do every day. There's no script. There's not a big crew. There's only three of us that travel together, and it seems to work. Now, how do you get most of your leads? Are these just people you know? Is it kind of networking, or do you actually advertise, or is it just because you've been in the business for so long and you're kind of like a who's who and a go-to guy, people just call you? Well, it used to be that way, and it is more and more now because more people know me. I mean, um, I'm well-known throughout the world now, and people email me and contact me constantly with, with leads and finds. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we, we were in Ohio, and uh, there was a 1929 LaSalle dual-call Phaeton that had been sitting in the for 55 years. And uh, the, uh, the father had died, and the daughter had the car, and so we were able to sort of we're be able to drag it out of the barn and, and uh, see let it see daylight for the first time uh, in 55 years. Pretty cool. Um, are you familiar with, I'm sure you are, bringatrailer.com? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great site. Uh, I get up every morning at 5 a.m., and that's the first thing I look at. It's amazing. I got it on my computer, too. But what was interesting is you brought up the uh, dual cow Phaeton, but uh, what's this um, Rolls-Royce Woody that they just drug out of uh, some barn up there uh, in your neck yeah, of the woods. Yeah, that, that's a pretty cool car. Um, that's that's a gentleman that I know from Newtown, Connecticut, and uh, he's he's really great at finding barn finds like that. So, uh, yeah, that that's a very interesting car. Unfortunately, a very expensive car to restore, so therefore, unless you're a person that wants to use it in, in the condition it's in, probably uh, it's not a car for you. If you want to restore it, would uh, probably double or triple the value of the car once it's done. Now, um, somewhere I was reading that you're kind of a purist. You like to find original, unrestored cars, and I'm on the same page as that. So a car like that Rolls-Royce Woody, okay, which was a custom-built car, I guess the, 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 the story is it was built for somebody in England and then wound up over here in the United States. What would you sure. do with a car like that? Just get it mechanically running and leave it alone and, and drive Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the type of car that you just get it running. You, you check out the fuel system, the carburetor, and you make sure it's running well and stopping well, and just just drive it. Um, we love to restore cars. That's my that's my main business is is restoring cars, and then we sell cars. But but if you find a treasure that's unrestored, like my Hudson Italia, for instance, is is unrestored. It still has the original air in the tires, original tires still on the car. We cherish stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's only original once. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the collector car community is finally realizing how important that stuff is. And so they're becoming more and more valuable um, as, as we find them, like the Pierce Arrow the other day. Unfortunately, it's sort of on the edge um, of what you would do with it because the paint's all falling off of it. It wasn't stored well. You know, it wasn't in a heated, air-conditioned, climate control setting, so therefore the car sort of fell apart. Uh, the metal can, uh, you know, expands and contracts, and the, and the paint cracks and falls off, and that's what's happened to this Piercero, so it's a candidate for a restoration. But yet, there's other cars 
that are kept in, in dry climates where, uh, you know, there's not a lot of change in temperature. And it's amazing how, how perfect uh, the original paint, the original chrome interior can be. Do you find that, uh, and I've noticed this over the years, that for some reason, New England, specifically Connecticut, a lot of very unusual uh, and high-dollar European exotics have wound up there. But you look at Texas, there's a lot of cars. Obviously, in California, there's a lot of cars. And cars like that that are exposed to the West obviously don't have the, uh, the, you know, the, the rust issues that, you know, they would in the Northeast or someplace like that. But where do you find the highest concentration of really unusual cars? You know, they can be anywhere. It, it, back in the 50s and 60s, New York was a popular spot because of the wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you had a huge wealth in New York City uh, and Greenwich, Connecticut, and that's where a lot of the cars uh, ended up. Um, for instance, the United States importer for Ferrari was Luigi Canetti, and he was based in Greenwich, Connecticut, New York City. So that all of the very unusual and, and exotic Ferraris that came into the country, and every car that came into the country went through Greenwich, Connecticut. And and he, he sold them in his New York City showroom. So because of that, a lot of them stayed in this general area. But it, it takes a long time. They, they finally filter out across the United States and throughout the world. And, and Rolls-Royce is the same thing. Rolls-Royce was made in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, you know, back in the 20s. Oh, they actually had a plant there? Absolutely. Uh, it wasn't a plant, but it was an assembly plant. Oh, really? So that because of the tax issue with bringing a Rolls-Royce into the United States, they were assembled in Springfield, Massachusetts, and, and, and bodies were built, Brewster bodies were built here in the United States. Um, and it was all because of taxes, and, and Springfield was on the Connecticut River just up from New York City. So they built a plant, and, it, and they're called Springfield Rolls-Royces. Interesting. Now, do they, is there any difference in value between a British-built and, an, and a U.S.-built car? No, actually, Springfield Rolls are very valuable. Um, you know, they're all all early Rolls like that are very valuable, but um, the Springfield ones are pretty interesting. You know, you find Playboys and P1s, P2s, stuff like that that were built, and and still today the building exists uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts, and there's a museum there right now, um, and it's and it's got a Rolls-Royce that was actually built there, and it was uh, driven by a gentleman in West Hartford, Connecticut. It was given to him by his father when he graduated Yale. And the, and when he passed away, before he passed away, he donated it to the Springfield Museum. So it's it's back where it was built. It's pretty cool. That's interesting. Now, I knew that Rolls-Royce furnished a lot of chassis and drive lines, and then a lot of the coach work was custom-built. So, But now you're saying that they actually shipped the chassis over here were the chassis shipped separately and then assembled here as well, or was it a complete running uh, rolling no, chassis? The, the motors motors were built over there. I mean, a lot of the components were built here, but it was it was sort of like an assembly line of, of General Motors and Brewster bodies. A lot of Brewster bodies were used, and, and they, they came from New York. So, you know, it was it was an area where the taxation was was uh, a positive for the company, gotcha. and that they could put a car together and actually sell it here in the United States. Most of the cars. Probably ninety nine percent of those cars stayed here in the United States. How long was that uh, plant in, in service? Ten years. Ten years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Now, besides Ferraris, what other cars are you passionate about? Well, I love Bentleys. Um, I love pre war Bentleys. So uh, anywhere from nineteen twenty one to nineteen thirty one, you know, Bentleys were a great company. I have a twenty six Bentley. 
and that's why I'm so passionate about those. Uh, they're such a great driving car. Um, I was introduced to, to Bentleys by a friend, Jerry Letary, and then I ended up buying my own uh, a few years ago. And it's probably the most cherished car in our collection because uh, the reason being is that my whole family enjoys uh, riding in the car. And so we'll go out and, and family, you know, uh, ice cream stops and things like that. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And then uh, I love Ford Woodies. I love V8 Fords, flathead V8 Fords. I've got hot rods and stuff like that. I love all cars. It doesn't matter. And, and the stranger, the better. The most, the more um, weird, the better. <laughs> okay. I just bought a spawn body Cadillac, which is outrageous looking. Um, and uh, I just bought a C-Type Jag. Uh, I've got a Mini with uh, two engines I just bought, which is a, known as a 20. There's a Engine in the front, engine in the back. That's a 1966 Mini Cooper. Was this that hill climb car you were telling me about? No, the hill climb cars. Uh, um, that that's a Porsche. Uh, oh, okay. About, uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, we're representing that in, in um, the auctions out in California this year. There'll be a story about that car. I bought a Tejero race car recently, which is kind of cool. We're going to campaign that this summer um, at Hershey, and then the Pittsburgh Grand Prix, and then Lime Rock. Okay. So, I mean, there's cars for every type of use. That's that's what's so great about cars, you know, that there's a different car for everything. I can go, for instance, I'll pick my father up probably next Wednesday, and we'll go to Cruise Night at McDonald's, and I'll bring probably my 41 Ford Woody. Um, and then, you know, you go to a car show, a classic car show, two weeks later in Greenwich, and, and we'll probably bring a 31 Cadillac Roadster. And then we'll be at Hershey going up the hill in a Tejero and a, and a Porsche hill climb car. So it doesn't matter. It, it all depends on where you're going and what you're doing. I mean, there's a car for every purpose. Sounds quite eclectic. <laughs> and we love it. We love it. We love it. all cars. Super. Hey, in case you guys just tuned in, uh, this is Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and my guest this evening is Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars. So, uh, hey, Wayne, let me ask you a question. How many cars do you keep in your personal collection? Because there was one episode where you were trying to sell the Woody with the canoe on the top, and you kind of like, yeah. it was kind of like, it sounded like it was breaking your heart to do that, you know, because it's been in the family for so long, because I guess your dad had restored it at one point in time, and then you uh, kind of were thinking about selling it and didn't get used that much, and then you had reservations about it. So tell us a little bit about yeah. Some of your other it, it did get sold at that auction, um, and, and that's usually the, the way I do it. Is if I make make up my mind that I'm going to sell a car, um, that's it. It's gone. It's off the table, and uh, so we'll we'll negotiate to a point. Um, I I sold that because I, I really wasn't using it. Um, it. It was it was actually a little too cherished. I love to drive my cars, and I I was never driving that car. I just loved it so much, and. It was too good for our collection. We use our cars, so therefore I sold it, um, and there was a good cause for it. We're we're putting a new building up at my facility, and so that's going into the new building. You know, and you, you just look at priorities and you prioritize things, and the priority is the new building, and so the car must go. Yeah, uh, let me ask you a question now. As far as like some of these cars, and it sounds like in your own personal collection, the cars that you have are above average driver condition but stuff that you can take to shows like you said all the time and just have a good time with and in other words you use them absolutely i mean we've got probably five show cars and and there's no sense in having anything more than that i mean the big thing is driving and enjoying them uh uh, 
letting other people enjoy them. I mean, we have we have three cars, four cars in our private collection that we'll let neighbors and friends just take for the day and just have fun with it. I mean, share your passion, share your experience, and they all come back. They're, they're huge smiles on their face. They're not really car people so much as that they'll they'll want to go out and buy a car on their own now because we've created this you know phenomenon for them, but yet they enjoy the experience. And they're, that, that's terrific. You know, if you can share your passion with other people and let them enjoy what you enjoy, it's a great experience. How many... Um... Uh, any muscle cars in your collection? None. None? None. Uh, I mean, I've had muscle cars. I buy them. I sell them. Um, probably the biggest uh, muscle car phenomenon that I ever had in a feeling for muscle cars was um, years ago. I wanted uh, I wanted a Boss 302 really bad, and uh, then uh, at that point, you know, I looked at Boss 302s. I was just getting out of high school, and I thought. This is the wildest car in the world. And then I saw a, a Sunoco gas commercial with a Z28. <laughs> Mark Donahue was driving the Z28 Camaro up Pikes Peak, and he's shifting the car at 9,000 RPMs. And I said, that's unbelievable. How can a regular street car shift at 9,000 RPMs? But it was true. I mean, these cars, these small 302s, were built to rev so high that I switched my alliance to, to a Z28 Camaro. I never was able to buy one of those, but I did get a, a Boss 302 at one time. had a great time with it for about six months, and then I sold it. Well, that's good, because you're a man after my own heart, because I'm, I'm a Shelby Boss guy, specifically, specifically Boss 302. That's my favorite. 19, what year Boss 302 did you get? 70. 70, yeah, that's a good year. Yeah, that's... yeah, I bought a 70. Uh, I knew the car, actually, from brand new. Uh, it was a friend of mine's brother's car. And so it was kind of cool that I that I bought it later in life. I knew the car when it was brand new, and and then he had restored it and uh, decided to sell it. And I heard about it, and I went and bought it. I had a lot of fun with it. Matter of fact, it's on the beginning of the show, one of the intros to the show. It shows me shifting the car and burning rubber, smiling. That's enough. <laughs> what color is it? It was blue. Blue? Oh, grabber blue. Okay. Or yeah, was it yeah. grabber? Okay. Yeah, that's the mo- they say that they like said silver blue actually. Oh, silver! Oh, that's medium metallic blue. Yeah, because the grabber yeah. blue they say is the most photogenic, but uh, a lot of people like medium metallic blue, which sounds like what you had, which is a cool car. Let me ask you this: yeah. How many cars do you normally have in your in 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 the works, like in your restoration shop at a time? How many how many projects are they working on? We're working on probably about fifteen cars right now um, in different stages. We have Mira SV. We just started on this Daytona Spider. We got a 330 GTC, mm-hmm. Luso. Let's see, um, Zagato Alpha, Zagato Lancia, two 356 cabs, SC cabs. We just finished the um, a, a Porsche Roadster. Um, Christ, we're just trying to think of Dupont, which uh, we we do some classic cars. So we have Dupont, a 31 Cadillac. Um, a 29 DeSoto. Oh my, keeps going on and on. We got a 67 Corvette, a 57 Cadillac, um, a 275 Ford Cam. I think that's that's about the the biggest restorations we have going on right now, all at once. How do you determine which cars you're going to restore? I mean, do these cars have to be fairly complete when they bring them to you, or will you accept basket cases? Well, we get involved with basket cases, but the problem is is that we, we have a small staff. 
Uh, we like it that way, and um, our backlog is so great that you know it's tough to take a project on. It's a basket case because it takes a lot of research and stuff. But we're we're expanding our business. Um, we're actually starting a new company, um, and that's why I'm building a new building. Is um, I'm going to begin a new company called Collector Car Collision Centers. And we're going to move a lot of our work to that shop where we're going to uh, repair collisions of, of collector cars. Oh, okay. And that'll gi- that'll give our our restoration shop a little breathing room, and we'll be able to take uh, new projects on there. But uh, because we mix the two quite often, you know, or we'll, we'll be repairing a, a collision of a collector car, which very few shops do around the country. Um, we're closely tied in with Haggerty Collector Car Insurance. So, therefore, we're going to be getting a lot of referrals from them and uh, basically doing that. And then we plan on taking that idea across the country and, and setting shops up across the country where people can take their collector cars for repairs. So, are you going to set up like a franchise? Well, it'll be either a franchise or we'll own the whole thing, um, but uh, we're, we're unsure of that yet. Um, we're getting our feet on the ground with our new facility. Um, you know, we've got the idea out there. We're starting to advertise for it. Um, you know, I've got the URLs, and and, uh, and my name goes behind it, too. I mean, you know, this is something that is great so that we can advertise that, that I'm part of the business and that we guarantee all our work for life. Oh, so wow. If you have an electric car and you want it repaired, we repair it correctly, and you're guaranteed for life that it'll, be, it'll stay the same, the paint will look the same in 20 years, so on. Now, how would you set that? Let's say, for example, here in Florida, okay, and I don't know what your Florida market or your perspective on the Florida market is, but are you going to, um, you know, assist? We've got two shops up in Florida. Are you do? You already have it, or are you, are you plan on it? No, no, we're just we're, we'll be looking for shops. Okay, uh, you know that we can go in and and set our facilities up. One of the great things too is is that our connection with McPherson College in McPherson, Kansas where they have a four-year uh, college program for auto restoration and auto repair with collector cars. So part of our, of our program is going to be that we're going to bring McPherson graduates to these shops to have them work in the shops and then hopefully one day start running the shops on their own. Um, there's nothing like it in the country, a four-year program that's dedicated to automotive restoration. It's fabulous. Um, so that that was my next question: Is how are you going to arrange the staffing? Because obviously, when you if you're going to put your name behind it, so your reputation's at stake, you're going to want to make absolutely absolutely sure that the staff that's running that facility is up to your expectations. Fair enough. Well, and that's and that's how we're, we're uh, you know we're going to work with McPherson um, for to educate these these guys how to repair cars properly, as well as how to manage the business properly. I mean, you know, that's that's the key, too, is that you can repair cars, but if you don't deal with the customers properly and make proper estimates and, and deal with the insurance companies, you'll be out of business in no time. So it's going to be a whole program. Uh, we're going to be able to to uh, uh, provide the facilities with, with uh, educated staff and... Uh, It'll be great for the young people. I mean, you know, these are great kids. We were just out there last weekend. Uh, I spoke at their uh, annual car show, and uh, we had a banquet on Friday night, and I was a speaker. And, and all of them are so passionate about what they're doing. And it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for them to be involved with programs like this and, and get out into their collector car uh, field and industry. Um, and, and 
the people that are involved in this program out there are the greatest restorers in the country and museums, heads, and so on. Um, and, and I explained it to them at the dinner the other night. I said, listen, this is almost like having Larry Bird and Michael Jordan be your mentors and you're a high school basketball team. You know, <laughs> the people that were there that are mentoring these young kids are unbelievable. So, Wow, that's great. But, Did- yeah, Do they good. realize how significant this is, the students? I Haven't... think some of them get it, but, but uh, hopefully uh, more got it after I gave my little talk to you. <laughs> okay. You know, the, uh, it was the who's who of auto restoration uh, were, were there for them this weekend. And uh, pretty cool to see all that and see that, you know, that passion uh, that we all have for the kids, and hopefully they'll give it back. Um, but the, the young people that are in the program are... They're dedicated to this uh, program. They're dedicated to the to the industry, and that's what you want to see. That's what's great. What's the average age? Well, they're college students. Okay. You know? So um, you know they're in their early twenties. There was one guy there though that had already been through four years of college, went out into the real world and figured out that there wasn't anything he wanted to do. So he's back in for a two-year program. So he's he's got his bachelor's art degree and now he's there just for the program of, of restoration so he's in his late 20s and uh, he's got a job with me whenever he gets out well wow, that's great let me switch over to parts for a little bit now a lot of the cars that you do it sounds like you know a lot of these pre-war classics a lot of the foreign cars and stuff there's not a lot of aftermarket parts available for them um, if you were doing muscle cars you know obviously you'd be dealing with classic industries or mpd or somebody like that and there's always issues with reproduction parts you know it doesn't fit it's this it's that and so on but now the cars that you guys work on primarily you must have to do a lot of fabrication would that be a fair statement yeah we do a lot of fabrication um we can make most any part that that we want we have we're, we're very fortunate to be in the aerospace uh corridor here in connecticut where there's so many uh, small machine shops that can make anything that Pratt & Whitney uh, wants, for instance, or Hamilton Standard who makes helicopters. So we've got some very intelligent people in machine shops that we can bring products to, uh, gear companies that make gears for us and so on. So uh, you've got all that behind you, um, you know, as far as the engine goes and stuff. And then, and then we've got some very talented people um, that are panel beaters, that can make any kind of a body part uh, that you want. And so w- with all that in mind, I mean, you know, we can basically make anything we really need. We try to make sure that the parts are as original as possible or, or are original. And for instance, uh, somebody asked me today, uh, we had a, a 356 Porsche part, and they said, well, where do you get the brakes for that? And, and we are doing a brake job, and, they, and I said, well, we use the original shoe the metal part of the shoe, but then what we do is we take the drum and we send it out to a machine shop and we have them fit the, the newly lined shoe to the drum. That way there we can make sure that, that the complete shoe is making contact with the drum because if you buy an aftermarket part and you just throw it on, more than likely there's only 10% of the shoe is making contact with the drum, the top and the bottom part of the shoe. So we want to make sure at the machine shop that that is all correct. And so that's that's what we do. We make things correct. We try to use as much of the original parts as possible, but still make the job as, as good as possible and brand new. Len, let's take a 356, for example. Um, how many hours would you say it, the restoration time involves? I mean, like a, on a typical muscle car, they figure 
800 to 1,000, 1,200 hours, they figure, on a car like that to do a restoration. And then, of course, you always have to question restoration. Now, in a 356, it sounds like, I mean, if you take the time to sit there, and, and I'm very familiar with 356s, so you got aluminum, uh, sh- uh, you know, uh, uh, drum, and it's got a steel liner in it. And, of course, you know, what happens is between the aluminum and the steel liner, there's always oxidation, and then what happens, they tend to pop out a little bit, and then, hence, you got to take it out and machine it and put a new liner in it. And then, you, like you said, you got to get it to seat to the uh, to the shoes, um, or to the pat, the, the, yeah, and stuff. So, at any rate, it sounds like you guys go that extra mile on all your cars. And so, to do that 356, uh, again, you got 1,000 hours, 1,500 hours. I mean, to go through the extra detail that you guys do, and that's a small car, too, for example. Well, yeah, I mean, it, we tell people, for instance, if, if you just want a 90-point car, it's going to be X. But if you want that extra 10%, it's, it's like going to a Concorde. You can take a Concorde car and you can make it a first-place winner. Okay, that's, that's easy. But to make it a 100-point car, it takes almost as much money as it did to make it a 90-point car to go that extra 10 points, you know, to make sure that everything is, is absolutely correct. Um, to make sure that that it's factory certified, uh, we have a system in our Ferraris, for instance. When we restore a car, I'll hire someone to come and critique the car. I don't think that I know everything about Ferraris or Porsches or anything. I always make sure that I get someone else who has more knowledge or just as much knowledge as me to come and critique the car. So. To, to put a price on that, it's, it's very difficult to, to price that type of a situation. Um, we can say, hey, it's going to be X amount of dollars for paint and X amount of dollars to rebuild your engine and all that. But when it comes down to that final 10 points, for instance, I can't, I can't put a price on that because you just don't know how long it's going to take. Exactly. Uh, we got about four minutes left. Shed a little in, uh, insight as to, or five or six minutes, but anyway, shed a little insight as to where you think the market's going. Because it, in my opinion right now, we're back like in the 89, 1990 days when the market was just going crazy, or like back around 2005, 2006. Is, do you have the same perspective? Well, the market is very strong for really great stuff. Okay. And there will always be a market. It's like art, you know. So if you follow the art market and you follow the car market, I mean, it's just very similar. Um, really great paintings and really great uh, automobiles are always going to sell for a value. I mean, they're, they're always going to be in the top of the, of the cream of the crop. It's the cars that are sort of at the bottom or in the middle that there's always a question about. Um, muscle cars skyrocketed, you know, uh, in the 90s, early 80s, or in the mid-80s, the early 90s. And it, we can't understand what, what it was driven on. I mean... For instance, uh, let's say a Hemi Cuda that they made 13,000 of. And I'm only giving these numbers. They're not exact, but I'm just saying, how can that car be worth a million dollars? They made too many of them. Yeah, it's a good car. Yeah, it's got a lot of horsepower. Yeah, it makes a lot of people happy. But when it comes right down to it, it's all in the numbers of production and the rarity. And, 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 And it's just like paintings. How many Van Goghs and Renoirs and... and Monets and stuff like that, yeah. Monets. I mean, that's what it comes down to, is that how how many of those cars were made. So therefore, right now, we have a global economy. 
um, that we didn't have back in the late 80s, early 90s. So people in China are now buying cars, and in Russia, and, you know, um, the Middle East, and, and there's, there's people that are finally realizing how great automobiles are as, as investments. And so, for, therefore, that's pushing the price up of the very cream of the crop cars, because now it's worldwide. Um, and if, if you really think about it, automobiles were made in the United States, if you really think about the great cars and in Europe. Those, those two continents. We have the, car, the great cars that were made in the United States, the great cars that were made in Europe, and that was basically it. The rest of the world never made great automobiles. So how many great automobiles are, are out there, and how many people are out there to buy those great automobiles that really have the financial backing to be able to do that? Well, it's the, the odds are weighing towards there's, there's less automobiles and more people, that's for sure. So the great cars that are worldwide accepted, that's the way we have to look at it. People, what, will, what would a person in China want, a person in Japan or a person in, in, the, in Saudi Arabia? What, what would they like? And those are the, the best cars that are out there. It um, uh, boils down to supply and demand, right? Supply and demand. Uh, what we have to be cautious of is, is cars that only our country and, and the generation, like the, the, the guys that will remember riding in their 19... 19- 20 uh, Chevrolet sedan. You know, I remember riding in that sedan with my grandfather, and that's the reason he wants to have it. Now, that generation dies. Who wants that 1920 Chevrolet sedan? Not too many people, unfortunately. And that's going to happen with sedans and coupes and, and cars like that, that that aren't really important. Uh, in many people's lives, yeah, they're important in, in the grand scheme of things, but a convertible, a, a touring car, one that they made very few of, those are the cars that are going to be in demand, and, and the regular sedans and that stuff are going to go away. 40s, yeah, um, probably not 50s so much, but 40s, 30s, and 20s cars and sedans and coupes are just going to go by the wayside, and there'll be junkyards full of them one day, unfortunately. I hate to say it, but that's, that's sad when you think about that. You know, there will be an abundance of those kind of vehicles out there floating around. And of course, I come from the salvage yard business, and I remember smashing a lot of the stuff in the, you know, late 50s, early 60s, because at the time, the market was weak in the 80s. And uh, so that's where a lot of that stuff went. Today, some of those parts, I'd kill for them, you know, because the stuff's just not available. That's right. That's right. It's an unfortunate thing. But in general, the, the, the car business is fantastic. Um, it's very exciting. Um, I go around the country and I meet such great people. They're so passionate about cars. It's amazing. And, and that's, that's the cool factor right there is the passion. Uh, I told the audience the other night, I said, you know, we could be collecting stamps or coins or whatever, um, but it's the friendships you make and, and, and it's the passion you have for what you're collecting. And we just happen to be collecting cars. Well, super. Wayne, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. My guest this evening was Wayne Carini from uh, Chasing Classic Cars. Wayne, would you come on again sometime if I get you? Sure will. Okay. Well, we'll be in touch, and I'll probably see you at Monterey or someplace like that. I'm not sure where I'm going to be next, the big one. But uh, anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. My guest this evening was Wayne Carini. And uh, everybody, drive carefully, stay safe, and love your family, and we'll see you here next week.